I do have so many things that I want to share this morning. I know that my time is somewhat limited, although uh, we started at 1030, so I guess technically I could probably go to like noon and we'd still be good. Um, I'm not going to do that with you, but I do want to just share a couple things. First of all, I thank you for your generosity, uh, specifically for pastor appreciation. It is a blessing. Um, it's humbling at times because uh, the reality is I know all of the weaknesses that come along with being the pastor as well. Uh, my wife knows all of the weaknesses that the pastor has as well, too. Um, but I am grateful for all that you guys support us with. And I would like to take a moment and just say thanks to the staff, the role that they play every single week that helped to make this ministry happen. So often, because I'm the one who stands up in front of you on Sunday morning, the expectation is that I'm the one who keeps everything running, but that's not really the case. Uh, there are many other people who play that role, and I am very, very grateful for them and what they do. So uh, if you would, would you just express your appreciation to the staff? All right, now I do also want to just address the elephant in the room here. Uh, I've had a bunch of people ask, what was this? I had some skin cancer that was removed this week, and it is completely gone. Uh, it will just take a little while for it to heal up, but uh, it has absolutely improved. I was uh, standing outside here with Stan Crawford, who had his done about a week ago, and uh, we're standing out there talking, and Bruce comes up and realized he didn't have anything on his nose, so he went out and grabbed something and put it on his nose and taped it up there. So um, it's not a club, and if anybody else wants in, they're welcome to get in, but it is uh, a blessing to be able to say that it is gone, and I don't have to worry about that anymore, at least not in that spot, and I'm very grateful for it. So um, I want us to begin today with a word of prayer specifically for our nation. Again, this has... Very little to do with the sermon this morning, but over the past week or so, we have seen some very ugly, violent acts. Yesterday, we were reminded once again with a shooting at a synagogue up in uh, Pittsburgh, and we live in a broken world. We live in a broken nation, and genuinely, the only hope that we have as a nation is Jesus Christ. We need to pray that God would send revival to this land so that the hearts of those who are doing these horrible acts would be completely transformed. You say, well, that's not possible that God could transform an entire nation. And I declare absolutely it's possible because our God, nothing is impossible for him. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. I mean, Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we begin with a confession that at times we have not sought you with all of our hearts. And as a nation, we have begun to turn away, if not, we have already long since turned away from the love and the grace and the hope that you alone provide. Lord, I pray for this nation today, and I ask that you would bring healing, and I pray that you would cause this nation to begin to once again turn to you. We believe that this nation was founded on incredible truth that it was founded on your grace and biblical principles that were being extended to the people here. And I pray that once again we would turn back to that biblical truth and that biblical hope. I pray that revival would come over this land, that those who want to fight over everything would find peace within you. I pray that those who are seeking after all these different things, hoping that something would satisfy them, I pray that they would find satisfaction in you. 
And I pray where there has become brokenness already, where individuals have been harmed, where death has even taken place and individuals are grieving this morning, I pray that we would find comfort within you. Lord, I pray that this nation would once again become all that you created us to be. Lord, I pray that you would begin here in this place. Among these people, may we sense your presence and your desire to work in us, to change us, so that we might be the people we need to be. And then let it spread contagiously to the world around us. I pray today for your moving in our midst. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. None of that is my sermon today. But I believe that as a nation and as a church, it is what we need. For it is time for us to once again go back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Larry King, the great announcer and interviewer, once found himself in an unusual position. Being the interviewee instead of the interviewer. He was appearing on the David Letterman show. And during their conversation, Letterman asked King this question. He said, if you could interview any person from history, who would it be? Instantly, King replied, Jesus Christ. Now, apparently, David Letterman was not expecting that answer, so it took him a few moments to respond. Letterman finally asked, well, what would you ask him? Oh, a lot of questions, King replied. But my first question would be, Were you really born of a virgin? He went on to add, the answer to that question would define all of human history. You know, his his statement is actually 100% true. The answer to that question really does define all of history. If Jesus was truly born of a virgin... If Jesus was truly born of God, the Word made flesh, then we have something tremendous to believe in. If all of it is a lie, well, there is no hope for humanity anyways, because God is not who He said He was, and Jesus Christ cannot be the suitable sacrifice for all of humanity. This is the greatest question of all time. Was Jesus Christ really who He claimed to be? Much of that for us is determined by faith. Faith is not a magical power or a potion. We were not there at the conception of Jesus Christ, but we believe that it truly was of God. Faith is not just a feeling. It's not a set of doctrines or creeds. Faith is trusting in the ultimate reality of the universe, Jesus Christ being that ultimate reality. Without faith, we cannot reach God or receive salvation from God. So it is vitally important that we not only get to know what faith is all about, but that we experience it firsthand as we genuinely put our faith in something that matters. Faith is driven by multiple influences. Certainly the Holy Spirit sparks faith in each of us, but there is so much more to it than that. Every day as I drive down the road, I exercise my faith. I demonstrate great faith in our fellow drivers as I do the speed limit, because that's who I am, and as they do the speed limit, because that's who they are, 
If I pass somebody on this road out here, 35 miles an hour, I'm actually passing them at 70. Because I'm going 35 this way, they're going 35 this way. I'm actually passing them at 70 miles an hour. There are but a few feet between me and the other driver. Yet rarely do I even question whether or not they might swerve over into my lane. The reason is because for so long I have done this over and over and over again, yet it has never created a problem for me. I just assume that they're going to stay where they're supposed to stay today. In the same way, our faith in God is often based on the fact that He has shown Himself to be faithful and true over and over and over again in the past. And therefore, we can trust that putting our faith in Him today makes sense. Because just as He's been faithful before, He will be faithful to do it again. The past can become God's tool to drive our faith today and in the future. As God has proven faithful in the past, surely he will be faithful again. Let me begin today by reading a familiar passage of Scripture to you this morning. It's not the same passage I had Josh read earlier. Actually, we're going to reference that passage a little bit later. This is one from Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to turn in your Bibles there, it's just the first three verses. It's a passage that I learned when I was in college, and it is probably one of my uh, favorite passages simply because I can connect here. I understand what's taking place. Its value, though, is seen not only in the three verses that we're going to read, but it's kind of like a connecting of the dots type of passage, where it's connecting what happened in Hebrews chapter 11 to what's happening here. Look at it with me in Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart." Now, I will tell you, I struggle with reading this a little bit because versions of the Bible have changed throughout the years. And probably as you were reading it in your Bible, it looked a little bit different even from what I read. And I confess a part of that is because I would look away from the text and I'm just reading it the way I remember it from years ago. This is a beautiful, beautiful passage. As we celebrate homecoming, it is good for us to remember I think one of the greatest things for me to remember is the various people who have played a role in me becoming who I am today. I ran into an old friend on Friday afternoon over at Southern Wesleyan University. His name is Ricardo, Ricardo Rodriguez. He was probably the one who played the largest role in me coming to Southern Wesleyan University many, many years ago. Just seeing him caused me to reflect a little bit on the past but when he and I got to talking about various people who had been in ministry, uh, in ministry with us throughout the years, some of our reflections, they were great. I mean, you start to really get excited talking about some of those people and the things that God has done. I confess some of them were not so great. 
Some of the people that have played a role in our lives that were a part of ministry with us, they're not in ministry anymore, sometimes because of moral failure. If I had to name a top three list for me, for people who had influenced me, that list would include, now here's the advantage of me being the pastor, I get to share stuff like this. That list would include probably, first of all, Ricardo Rodriguez, the guy that I ran into this week. Remember, I came here to be an accountant. I wasn't coming to be a pastor, but God put him in the right place at the right time to help direct me to a place where I could be pointed in the direction God wanted me to be. I am so grateful for that. I had a pastor growing up. He would be on that list. His name was Charles Beach. I thought it was actually very humorous. As a kid, I never really understood the humor to it. He had a daughter named Sandra. They called her Sandy, Sandy Beach. Uh, Very humorous name. I always thought, wow, that's great. She was my Sunday school teacher. But their family played such an incredible role in me being who I am today. I remember every Sunday, my pastor would come to me and say, hey, do you want to go visiting with me? And I, I don't know if I really want to do it. He was much older than me. He made a big deal on my 17th birthday. He said, if you turn the numbers around, we're the same age because he was 71. And every Sunday, he would go visiting seniors in the church, in the community. And he always wanted me or my brother or someone to go. And I would tell him no. And he would say, we'll ride with the top down. And he had a convertible Chrysler LeBaron. Well, you know what? It'd be 32 degrees outside, and we'd be riding down the highway with the top down just because I wanted to ride in the convertible. But what he did for me was tremendous. A third one would be Norman Wilson. Some of you will recognize that name. He was the voice of a radio program that the Wesleyan Church sponsored for many, many decades. It's called the Wesleyan Hour. And he's the one who, throughout my years of ministry, he has been a mentor to me. And often when there was a big decision that needed to be made, I would contact him before making those decisions. He is an incredible man of God and has certainly played a role in me being who I am today. There are many great characteristics about each of these individuals and the fact that they each invested so much in me will always be appreciated. But the thing that is common in all three of them is that their faithfulness to God has remained constant throughout all of those years. They have done more than talk about their faith. They have lived their faith in front of me and anyone else who would watch. Well, the writer of Hebrews is having one of those reflective moments as well. He's looking back at the influences not only on himself, but for the entire Hebrew race. Hebrews 11 is most commonly known as the faith chapter, as it recalls a series of individuals who demonstrated incredible faith in God. Their faith became God's tool to bring healing and deliverance and freedom and so much more. And each of these individuals have the same common thread as individuals that I just mentioned. Their faith was more than something they talked about. It was something they lived out in front of other people. I hate when my tablet does stupid things, crazy, I'm sorry, crazy things. I'm not supposed to say that. All right, let's, let's jump to chapter 12 then. Sorry, wherever we are here. Chapter 12 begins with a reference to these men and women of faith. 
They are referred to as the great cloud of witnesses that have already demonstrated the value of great faith. They've seen it firsthand and their lives mattered. It made a difference to them that they acted in faith. They each made a difference and their faith was the reason behind it. Can you imagine Abraham? had he not been willing to go when God called him to go or where God called him to go. Go to the place where I will show you. Well, that's a vague piece of instruction. Okay, let's go. Imagine if Abraham had not been willing to go. Would we even know who he was as one who was disobedient to God? What about Enoch or Isaac? What about Joseph without his faith? Who would have delivered the Egyptians and even the Israelite people from a great famine? What about Moses? Without faith, perhaps the Israelites are never delivered from the hand of Pharaoh. The point is that without faith in the one true living God, these people never would have accomplished what they did. They would have just been like everybody else. There are many others that are listed in Hebrews 11, but the point is that each of them displays incredible faith in God. Otherwise, we're not even talking about them. They're just like everyone else. A couple of things arise out of this for me. First, who are the people who have modeled faith in front of you? And how did it work out? Did they become world changers? You said, I don't know. I don't really know anybody who took on a position of importance. I've never met another president or a king or anything like that. It's not what I asked. Did they become world changers? What about in your life? Did their faith enable them to be a world changer so that you would become someone different than what you would have been without them? Who are the people who have demonstrated incredible faith impacting who you are. Last week, I challenged you to be strange. Remember, I told you some of you are already working on that, and you're good at it. To stick out like sore thumbs. Did these men and women of faith stick out like sore thumbs around you? Were there other individuals who they could have been just like them, and they would have just been quote-unquote normal? But they chose to be different, to be set apart. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a friend who simply modeled to you what it is to be a child of God. And they became world changers for you. The second thought that arises for me is, what will the next generation see? Will you be the one to show them your faith? Not just tell them about your faith, but to show them your faith. Or will you just be like everybody else? I confess that I fear for the next generation because it seems that fewer and fewer people are demonstrating that faith in a life-changing manner. We are in a great place. We talked uh, recently, this church is doing some really good things. We're reaching some new people. I get excited about that. But you know, we're not even keeping up with the population growth in this community. I was in a meeting recently and There were some statistics that were shared, and uh, there are uh, some of the counties in South Carolina are growing much more rapidly than others. Some are in decline. Uh, Our church growth barely is, actually, we're not even on target with the population growth in Pickens County. 
someone told me not that long ago that there are 96,000 people in Pickens County. Actually, we're looking at almost 130,000 at this point. There are a lot of people that need to hear the good news of Christ. And I worry about the next generation because for so long we've had these saints of the church who have lived it in front of us. They've shown us what it is to be a child of God by everything that they said and everything that they did. And I worry about the next generation. Who will they see? Will they see it in you? Will they see it in me? For too many of us, we have taken on a faith that is similar to what Paul described to Timothy. He's talking about the last days when people will take on a form of godliness, yet they will deny its power. Will the next generation see your faith and know that the one you serve is truly all-powerful? You say, how does this come into play? We come to Christ We say some magic prayer and then we live like there is no change or transformation in us. We continue to be enslaved by the same sins that were a part of our lives before. And if someone were to look at our lives before and then after, before Christ and after Christ, they won't see much of a difference at all. The unfortunate reality is, is that is the world we live in. And that is the world that Paul describes, taking on a form of godliness, yet denying the power of God to change lives. This leads me to the second point in today's message. Clearly, we need to be aware of the past, but the passage, in the passage, it says that since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we ought to do something. We ought to throw off everything that hinders And the sin that so easily entangles us, it adds that we are to run with perseverance the race that's marked out before us. And we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. Notice that the passage has moved from the past tense, the great cloud of witnesses, all those examples of people in our past to the present of now. This is how you must live your life today. Basically, the author is making that shift. He says, I know the faith of the previous generation. I know about Moses. I know about Abraham. I know that it meant something to them. But I want you to live it out too. I want you to put your faith in action. In other words, be inspired, but not just leading to conversation. Be inspired, leading to transformation. The Apostle Paul was one who understood this fully. In his first letter to Timothy, he summarizes this same idea. He says, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He said in there, flee from all of this. He's telling you, do whatever it takes to get away from sin. Put your money where your mouth is. Don't just talk about it. Do it. You claim to have faith. Now live like you have faith. There's one other thing that I see here from this passage in 1 Timothy 6. And I don't want anyone to miss out on it. I think the church has done a pretty good job of explaining why we need to flee from sin. We think of people like Joseph in the Old Testament who was tempted with Potiphar's wife 
and he fled. He ran so fast that he even left his coat behind. So here he is running naked away from the temptation that was in front of him. But Paul doesn't stop at a call for us to flee from sin. He goes on to instruct Timothy to instead pursue Christ. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. In other words, Timothy, you haven't yet arrived. I know you said that prayer, but that wasn't the end. Now you go get it. Don't be content with being good enough or even having more faith than other people. Pursue this with everything that you have and everything that you are. Most of you probably know that I played baseball when I was in college. Well, the truth is, I was a terrible baseball player. I was like the project guy that uh, the, the coach allowed to be on the team basically because I was a good guy. I walked on. I had never played Little League baseball, never played in high school, never played anything till I got to college. And honestly, I really was the worst guy on the team. Uh, so I'm not just saying that to be humble. Uh, I really was the worst guy on the team. I remember talking with one of my friends uh, from high school, and he was an incredible athlete. Uh, he played on the baseball team, was a great pitcher, and uh, he never tried out for a college baseball team, never played. And he and I were talking one day, and he said, you know, you ought to be proud of the fact that you got to play on a team. Just to be on a college team is a great honor. And actually, it's true. But do you know that if I'm ever going to be great at something like that, I cannot be satisfied just because I made the team. I can't be proud of the fact that I made the team if I'm never going to be great on that team. But that is exactly what many of us have done in the body of Christ. We made the team. You should be satisfied. You should be happy about it. But God says, are you really satisfied with where you are? Or do you want to be great? You see, if you're going to be great, you can never stop pursuing faith and righteousness and all of these things that are described here in 1 Timothy 6. We cannot be content with where we are. We need to get up every morning and run. Run after God. Seek Him with everything that we have. Never, ever become satisfied. Remember my question earlier? What will the next generation see in you? Will you be the one to show the next generation what it means to believe? Or will you be just like everyone else? Either you pursue God with everything you have and everything you are, or you will be just like everyone else. There's one more thing dealing with the present tense that is very important. Back to our passage in Hebrews chapter 12. The instruction in Hebrews was to fix our eyes on Jesus. Note that it can be of great value to look at the faith of other people. But God offers so much more. When you read the stories of Abraham, of David, of Moses, of Samson... Let's move away even from some of the scriptural people. Martin Luther, of John Wesley, of D.L. Moody, Billy Graham, or the guy I mentioned earlier, Norman Wilson. You will be inspired by those individuals. 
But when you look to Jesus, you will not merely be inspired. You will be empowered. That is why we are told to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the one who can take everything else and make it possible within us. There is power in the name of Jesus. And he is the one for whom we wait. We look forward to the day that he will return. But in this moment, today, we live empowered by his spirit in us. He is the one who promised that one day he would return. And this brings us to our future. It's the last thing that we see here from Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. There are two references that point us to the future. The first is a call to perseverance, suggesting that the end may not be sitting just over the next hill. If you've ever run in a race, especially one uh, actually uh, like a 5K, unless you're on a really flat land, when you're running that race, you know there's a finish line, but you might not always be able to see the finish line. And it starts to feel good when you start to realize how close you are to that line. Well, what if you cross the next hill and that line's not there? The call is for us to persevere, which means you continue to press on. You do not stop what you're doing. The second talks about not growing weary. People grow weary after they've been in the journey for a long time. And I would love to tell you that the end is near. Actually, prophets have been saying that for centuries. I guess that in a way it is near, but near is a relative term. 2,000 years ago, the disciples anticipated that Christ would likely return even within their own lifetimes. They wanted to know what signs should they be looking for because they knew it had to be coming 2,000 years later. We are still waiting for that day. So logically speaking, we are a lot closer to the return of Christ than we were 2,000 years ago. But we're not guaranteed that it will be tomorrow. It might be, but it might not be. My point is that we need to be ready for the return of Christ. And it really could be tonight. But we need to be so committed to Jesus Christ that we are willing to wait patiently for his return. We continue to press on. And if it takes another 10 years, 20 years, 100 years, we will never let up in the passion and the pursuit of Jesus Christ. There is a huge part of me that wants the Lord to return before this service gets out. Man, I would love for the Lord to return while we're in the middle of a worship service so we could simply just rotate our attention and continue to worship very clearly on Him. Man, I would love for Him to come this morning. There's a part of me that I'm not sure that I really want Him to return yet. I still have people that I love and care about that if He were to return right now, they simply are not ready. I don't know when the Lord will return. And if anyone tells you that they do know, they are lying to you. But I do know this. He has shown himself to be faithful in the past. So you can trust that he'll be faithful again in the future. Which means he will keep his word. He will come back. 
The question is not whether God will choose to be faithful, but whether we will be faithful. Will he find us faithful when he returns? We must run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. In essence, we must live out the words of Psalm 73, verses 23 through 28. The psalmist writes, I am always with you. You hold me by, your right, by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you, they will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Those who are unfaithful to you, according to this passage, they will be punished. But God has called us to be faithful, for he will be faithful. I challenge you to wait patiently for Christ to return. He will be faithful to you. He will guide you. He will protect you. He will provide for your every need. And you can trust that even when your flesh and your heart may fail, God will be the strength of your heart. And I love that last verse. It is good to be near God. As I close this morning, I want to leave you with one simple statement. It's not something new and profound, but it is true. The foundation has been laid. And I want you to think about that for a moment. The foundation has been laid. There are generations of people who have been faithful to the word of God, faithful to the promise of God. They have been living it with everything that they have. The foundation has been laid already. What we do today, though, will determine what tomorrow looks like. Today is a day that we celebrate 101 years for this church. And man, there is a great reason for us to celebrate. God has done incredible things. Individuals whose lives were broken have been made whole. Individuals who were covered in sin have been set free. Individuals who had no purpose have gone on to serve God in incredible ways through the ministry of this church. We have a great foundation. But tomorrow will be determined by what happens today. Will you be the one who will show the next generation what it is to serve God? Maybe Christ comes back tomorrow and none of this really matters too much. May he find us faithful when he comes. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, our prayer is not for your faithfulness, for you've already settled that. You have been faithful over and over and over again. There are times that we have been far less than faithful and your grace has made up for our shortcomings. And today, Lord, we simply ask that you would make us faithful once more. 
Lord, where there is a need for forgiveness, where we have allowed sin to take root in our lives, I pray that in this moment, that as we confess our sins, you would be faithful and just, and you would forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I pray that at this moment, something would change in us. That as we talk about faith, it would be more than a conversation, but rather it would be something that leads to transformation. Lord, I pray that each one in here would truly experience your freedom and your victory. I pray that each individual in this room today, that they would become the models for the next generation. Lord, we celebrate Moses and Abraham and David and Samson and Enoch and Isaac and Joseph Martin Luther and John Wesley and all of those other folks. Lord, I pray that you would allow others to see you and us so that 20, 30, 50, maybe even 100 years down the road, there are people that are still walking in your grace, pursuing you with everything that they have because they saw it or they heard about the faith of the people who are here today. But I pray that the greatest days of the church would not be in our past, but rather it would be in our present and future. Move in such a way that we would become your instruments for another generation of Christ followers. Lord, I praise you for your grace. Thank you for making up where we've fallen short. Now help us to walk in a way that honors you. In Christ's name. Amen.